This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Yeah, we're good. We're good to go. Why do I have it? Why do I have it that way? That's a weird way to wear it. All right, Eilat Pekudei. Eilat Pekudei Mishkan, Mishkan Eidus, this week's Parsha. Moshe Rabbeinu gives a reckoning, a reckoning. He gives a inventory of, he gives an inventory of everything that was used in the Mishkan so that Kleisol shouldn't think that he stole anything. Okay? So I want to continue a little bit on last week's share called Randomness, that, that you know, all the atheists in the world, they don't believe in Hashem and all that. And we have, you know, I was just telling someone that if you want to have a Muna, if you want to understand the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's only, there's only one thing you need to focus on. That he's such a loving God that he gives life to the people who spread that he doesn't exist. You can't do you can't do that if you're a human being. In other words, if an atheist gets up, a guy says, "I don't believe in God. I believe the world is random." Then Hashem, who's sitting there, should say, "Well, since you don't believe in me, right? So then I can't hurt you, can I? Well, let me show you that I'm around." And he should take him out of the world in one second. You hear, you don't believe in me. Right? So what, He gives them life every single day. And all their preaching is that he doesn't exist. And he wakes them up the next morning and he gives them life. And he gives them money. And he gives them food. And he gives them five senses. And, and they're using their five senses, right, to talk bad about him, to badmouth him. It, it's unbelievable. And if you, if you have that focus in your head that... That even the Rishayim, the worst Rishayim, the worst people who are, who, who are saying that God doesn't exist, He gives them life every day, 70 years, 80 years. Cause, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll wake up. Maybe they'll hear a share of something and they'll change their mind and they'll wake up and they'll come back and He gives them life. If you think about that and you meditate on that a little bit, you can understand that His love for the human being, must be amazing. You know, the presence he's giving, you're not just throwing it in the garbage. Okay, throw it in the garbage. No, you're throwing it at, at, at the person who's giving it. To, to you're hitting them with the bat that they gave you to hit a home run. Like, you know my story, right? So, I, I focus on that a lot. Because, you know, these kids are sitting in front of me and they're like, I don't believe in you. It is no good. I believe in myself. Like we said last week, I don't believe in any of this stuff. The world just happened. I'm like, Hashem, you listening to this? Like, this kid's sitting, the world just happened. God doesn't exist. Hello? And, like, God doesn't, like, poof them at that moment. Like, okay, if I don't exist, bye-bye. What do you need to be here for, right? He doesn't. The kid's sitting there. Go home. They live with Hashem a long life. That's my proof. That's my proof. Okay. So listen carefully. There are times when a person's heart breaks upon hearing about the suffering of our people. My heart breaks. I watch a lot of suffering. No one comes to knock on my door to tell me things are great. Nobody calls me and leaves me a message. Red Wallstein, life is amazing! It's like, call me immediately, I'm getting divorced, I'm this, I'm that, sick, that, man, a guy, did, uh, my kids off the derech, right? So, yeah, sometimes a person's heart does break when you hear the suffering of other people. That is what happened when a woman came crying to me, who's me, who wrote the Sefer, Yitzhak Zilberstein. Yitzhak Zilberstein, the brother-in-law of Rav Chaim Kainetsky. 
So he said, this woman came crying to him with several of her children, right? And related that her husband had abandoned her for no reason. So she came with her kids and she came to to the Rav and she said, she started crying, she was in a lot of pain. Her husband walked out on her. He had traveled abroad and was ignoring her pleas to return. So he wasn't giving her a get, so she couldn't marry. Same time, he just abandoned his whole family. I do not know what I did to antagonize him, she sobbed bitterly, and her children cried along with her. She then asked me to contact a Rav living abroad who might be able to influence her husband to return home. So she came to Rabbi Zilberstein, you know, the husband ran to Israel, so maybe you know a Rav in Israel that you could talk to that, maybe you could change his mind. What could I say to this poor man in order to comfort her? Let's read together the words of Rav Chaim Palachi in the Moed L'Cholchai. Rav Chaim writes that he saw in the town of the Eliyahu, Eliyahu Rabbah 31, that Hashem sits and waits, listen to this, Hashem sits and waits for the Jewish people to repent. More than a father waits for a child or a woman waits for a husband. What is he waiting for? So that he can redeem them and build the base Hamikdash for them. He, he wants to build the base Hamikdash for us. He wants us to repent. If now listen to what this rough says, brilliant. And I'm going to use this. So he told her, so what's she supposed to do? Her husband ran away. He's not listening to nobody. He's not, and I'll tell you something, Rabbi Gamliel told me. He's not, um, he's not giving her a get. He's not coming back to them, right? So what, what would you tell the woman like that? What did it say to Hillel? What would you say? He said, pray for Hashem to return to his people. You, you should daven that we should do, that Klaiswell should do tshuva and Hashem will come back to us because Hashem is the chasen in, in the Shir Hashirim. Hashem is the man with a kala, right? So if you daven that Hashem should come back to us because Klaiswell will do tshuva, then me, the Kinegami, that Hashem will bring your husband back. Very smart. How do I know this from Rabbi Gamliel? I always ask Rabbi Gamliel. What's the kavana on Tishabov? What's what do you what do you what are you supposed to think about on Tishabov? You know what he always tells me the same thing. He always gives me the same kavana. He says your kavana should be when you're sitting on the floor, you should cry about a tati, about a father who not only lost his children, but at the same time lost his house. And you should think that the Shechina Kodesh Baruch Hu has no resting place on this world anymore with his children. So it's sort of like we kicked him. He lived in, on our block or he lived in our house. And we told our father who lived with us, Dad, we don't like you anymore. You're too old. And we kicked him out of our house never to talk to him again. He said, your kavana on the floor should be, you're a father, you understand. That, that a father who loses his children and at the same time loses his house. And that's what you should cry about on Tisha B'Av. Tati, Tati, I'm sorry. I kicked you out of my house. You understand what that means? You have a father who gave you everything and now he's living in your house and you tell him, get, that out, get out of my house now. And don't ever come back. And don't ever talk to me. And you don't even exist. That's what our generation is telling Hashem. You don't even exist. 
I threw out something that doesn't even exist. I have no connection to you. I'm an atheist. You don't exist, Hashem. You don't exist. And he's looking down and he's like, I created you. I'm giving you a lot. What do you, you don't exist. And he doesn't get angry. Doesn't kill them. He doesn't kill them. All the people are doing all the various in the world. To Abbas Hashem, the Torah says, he hates it. It's disgusting. Are, are they, are they all wiped out? Are they dying? Is there a lightning coming out? Is the earth opening up? And so, no, Hashem's like, they're my creations and we'll do tshuva. And we're telling him, you don't exist. Can you imagine the pain of a child going up? Some of you have children in here? I mean, I do. I have grandchildren. I can't even imagine if my daughter would sit in front of me and say, you don't exist. You don't, you don't exist in this world, Dad. You're not even my dad. I don't believe that you're my dad. You don't even exist. You're zero. I'm like, Shefullah, if I'm not your dad, how'd you get here? And she's like, just happened. You're finished. Your kid, go, your kid, your kid goes off to Derech and gives you Ajita, right? You're crazy. It, managed, it destroys people. They can have 20 kids and one off to Derech and they can't, they, they're going out of their minds, right? That's a kid that's off to Derech. No, no. An atheist is a kid who's telling Hashem, no, 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 no. You... Don't exist. Don't exist. I, I can't even imagine my daughter will come up to me and say, Dad, you don't exist. There's nothing here. You're not here. But, 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 I, but, I, but I gave birth to you. But, you know, you're, you're, you're part of me. You're blood and bones and flesh. But it's not true. I was put together by a machine. I just came together, a bunch of mass stuff in a test tube. I think I, I, think I was created in a laboratory by humans in a test tube. So she's telling me that not only I don't exist, not, not only I'm not her father, but I don't even exist in her world. I don't exist. I'm not there. Who could understand that pain? And that's what an atheist is telling Hashem. Not only did he create me. Not, okay, maybe I came from a Martian. Maybe you didn't create me. But not only you didn't create me, you don't exist. And the Malachim and Shemayim, Hashem, you created the world. You're giving this person life. Sun, the moon, the air, the water, the plants, the flowers. This person who's saying you don't exist is eating your fruit, Hashem. And your vegetables. And smelling your flowers. And wearing your wool from the sheep. And your linen from the flax. Hashem, don't take this from him. Don't take this from her. She's saying, you don't even exist. Not, Hashem, you didn't create me. Or you didn't create all this. No, 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 no. You exist. There's no you, God. There's no you. I'll tell you a story that happened with me. Today is one of my, my closest Talmudim. I had this Talmud. And, uh, I don't know if I should say his name. But he, we, he, he, he can come in here and tell you the story. The story is true. I was a disciplinarian. I was an eighth grade rabbi, and everybody was scared of me. Kids were scared of me. I loved them. We played football. We went out to eat. They came to my house for showers. I loved them to death. But don't mess. You guys have my personality. You know what I mean? I'll do anything for you, but just don't mess with me. 
right? So everyone in the school knew you don't mess with, you don't mess with Rabbi Wallerstein. So there was a certain discipline. I walked in. I didn't have to tell him to be quiet. I didn't have to tell him to sit down. There was a certain awe. Just you want to call it awe, whatever it was, not fear, whatever it was. I like to call it awe because fear. I don't like fear. I like to do an awe. The Rebbe, he drives a car. He had a, the first phone, and my car that started automatically. I said, "Car start." I had a button. I pushed it. I made them crazy. I told them that I could talk to the car, and make it start. So I got one of those cars right in the beginning where you had a button that you could they, they put it into the engine that could start the car to warm it up. So I would go in front of the car, my kids, you know, they could talk to my car. They said, "Really? You can ask my tummy." Them, no, you guys are not that that long. I said, "I said, yeah, really. Watch." Car, start! I pushed the button in my, in my jacket pocket. The car goes, boom! Like, oh my God, Revy. And I was like, okay, car, stop! And I would turn it off. So they were like, wow, let me try that. So the kid would go in front of the car. It'd say, car, start! Nothing would happen. I'd say, Revy, how come it doesn't start? I'm like, no, no, no. This works by computer. It only works to my voice. <laughs> they were going, I made them crazy for like three months, right? Until... So there was this one kid, and I wanted to make them nuts. So when he said car started, it started. And the rest of the class was like, why he? I'm like, he has the same decimals in his voice, the, 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 the volume. It's exactly like me. I said, I told the kid, try to talk a little bit lower. Watch what happens. He talks lower, it doesn't start. I was controlling the whole thing. I made them nuts. There was this one kid in my class who gave me so much trouble, and he wasn't scared of me. And no matter what I did, he was going, he, had, he lost his father, he lost, his, mother, he lost his, his father, he was going through a lot of whatever. No matter what I did, or what I did, I could not discipline him. So one day, because I remember it happened once with me and my father, one day I said, you know what? No matter what I do, it doesn't work. I am going to ignore him. He doesn't exist. He sat in my class. Rebbe! I didn't react. We went to play basketball. He's like, pass me the ball. I, I made like, he, whatever, he did not exist. He, went, he ran up to me and says, I'm begging you, please talk to me. I said, did anyone hear anything? I won't see anybody. I totally ignored him for three days. Wow. On the third day, he sat down and he said to me, if you would stop, if you would stop ignoring me, I will be your best student. His whole life changed right then and there. My father once, once, he loved me, and I knew he loved me, and we were very close. So to punish me didn't always work. But for the person that loved me and that I loved to ignore me, I couldn't handle that. He knew that that punishment of, of not talking to me and not being gracious who I was, that I'm there, I could not handle that. So, and he did it to me once. I realized with this kid, and the kid will come in and tell you that, nothing could help. Rabbi Wallstein ignored me for three days. I could not deal with it. I was going off the wall. So, it's a very terrible feeling when someone ignores you. How many hundreds of thousands of humans are atheists? They totally ignore God. You don't exist. Hashem does miracles, sunrises, and sunsets, and everything, and they're like, now, nah, Mother Nature, you don't exist. And he doesn't, he, doesn't take, he doesn't take revenge. He just does another sunrise, 
another sunshine for these people. There's nothing worse than ignoring. They're ignoring him. They're doing what I did to this kid. He's right in front of them. He's like, hello, the fruit that you're eating, I created, right? The feelings and the emotions that you have, I created. Your, your five senses, I created technology. I created, I created all this. And then you're like, who? There's no one there, Rabbi. It, it, just, it just happened. There were these two neutrons that just happened. And he just continues and continues and he continues. That's called Rachman. That's called Rachman. And it's just interesting because when I was preparing this week's parsha, this parsha Bekudeh, it was like mamish, a continuation of last week's of last week's year of randomness. Rav Chaim continues. Believe me, every time I read this statement, tears flow from my eyes. For how can it be that the King of Glory, the God of the Universe, sits and waits for us to repent so that? He can shower, shower us with all the good in the world, but we still go wayward ways of our hearts and we are not stirred to repentance. If it would happen that a person's beloved son would not come home in the evening at the time that he usually comes home, the father would already be looking out the window and peeking through the cracks to see when the son would arrive. Or if a woman's husband would travel abroad, how great would her suffering be until she finally would see her husband again. But for Hashem, the suffering is far greater, says the Tanah Dvei Yahu. Rav Chaim concludes by saying, if Hashem is suffering so much, why are we still in this deep slumber? Why are we sleeping? And why are we not repenting? Hashem, let the hearts of your people be moved to repent and to, to complete shuva before you. He said something very interesting. And also, Rabbi Gamliel talked about this a little bit. Rav Chaim writes that if all the Jewish people would hold a conversation, and, and I talk about this a lot, I talk about davening out of the sitter. The Siddur is prepared tefillah that Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov prepared for us and it has a lot of power because of who wrote it. So when you daven shachos, it ignites Avram's relationship with Hashem and Yitzchak by Mincha and Yaakov by Mayriv. And it's very important, but there's a certain relationship outside of the Hallmark card that's already pre-written. There's a certain relationship that a person has by sitting at the edge of his bed and talking to Hashem, or the end of Shemana Esrei talking to Hashem, outside the written word, his own written word. So he says, that by Ne'ilah, the story of Chaim says, that if all the Jewish people would hold a conversation with Hashem after Ne'ilah on Yom Kippur, once they had been purified through fasting, crying, and repenting, and they would tell Hashem, we are not budging, we are not going home, to eat and drink until you bring Mashiach, there's no doubt that this prayer would be accepted by Hashem. You hear what he's saying? If the whole Klai Yisrael at the end of Yom Kippur is like, Hashem, I am not going home until you bring Mashiach. When I'm, I'm, not, I'm not eating. I'm on a, right? There's no Shiloh that Mashiach will come, but because people rush through Ne'ilah and hurry out the shul like children running out of school, our redemption is delayed because Hashem says they're not, they're not asking me for here they are on the highest point it's their chance in the Elah to ask me for you know for Mashiach and they're they're oh, oh, Racham right it says why do you say Shlachlanu in the in the mire of after the Elah what do you, what do you need forgiveness for you just came out of Yom Kippur it says because because you're already you're already rushing through your davening you already didn't have kavana. You really didn't have Kavana because you're, you're, you're running. What if you did? What? What if you did have Kavana? So then you don't have to say Slachlano. You can use that as a credit for the next thing. Your next Avera. Slachlano is for the whole class, well, anyway. Slachlano, not for you. 
not slachli. Slachlanu. It's for the whole Klai Yisrael. The whole Klai Yisrael, not there are people running out. We're human. But we have a chance. We're in the highest level. Instead of asking for Mashiach, we're like, we're, we're going to hear Avdallah. You know? Is there water? What? Yes, it's my new campaign. But because people rush to the Neil prayer and hurry out of shore like children, it's clear that we do not beg Hashem to return the base of Megdash to redeem us from all our suffering. And those we do truly want to see Hashem's return to, 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 to the base of Megdash. Yeah, that's why it's delayed. Okay, now, listen to this. Wow, what a fart. What a beautiful fart. Okay, so there's a Rashi. There's a Rashi in the beginning of Pekude. This is a beautiful fart. Every part's a beautiful vibe, but this is like Some of them are just like, whoa. The Rashi is like this. Elev pekudei ha-mishkan. Mishkan ha-edus. It should say, Elev pekudei ha-mishkan. I should pukat al This is the inventory of the inventory that Moshe took. Why did it say the word mishkan twice? So Rashi says, because we lost two beis ha-mikdash. Shnei pa'amim. Rather than mikdash ha-mishkan, shnei korbanim. Right? We lost two beis ha-mikdash. So mishkan, mishkan is the first beis ha-mikdash, second beis ha-mikdash. He says the following. Nay, we did. So, Rashi says they were collateral. The way Migdosh was destroyed instead of us. Right? What does it say? You took your anger out on Eitzim Vavonim, on wooden stones, you didn't take it out on us. So there was like a mashkin. Hashem said, it's like, if I lend somebody money, what's a mashkin? How do you say that in English? If I lend someone money, I take a security, I take a collateral security. So like the bank, if you borrow money, they take your, they, they make you sign your house. Right? It's collateral. Right. It's collateral. So I would say, let's say, you want me to lend you $100? Leave me your phone. Right? So I know that you're going to pay me back. You say, I'm going home to pay you back. So leave me your phone. So you, I don't need your phone, but leave it in until you come back. That way I know you're going to pay me back. You're coming back. Right? Okay. I was in a taxi from the, from an airport. I didn't have any money in Eretz Yisrael, right? So I came from Lud. I didn't have any money on me. And my money was up in the apartment where I was going. So I told the taxi driver I need to go upstairs to get the money. But I'm sure people did that to him and never came back down who ended up going out the back door of the apartment building. And, you know, so I said, um, I'm leaving my suitcase in the car. So I'm not going nowhere. So then he was, he felt okay. It was like security. So that's a mashkin. I left you something to know that I'm not, I'm not going to hurt you. So these two Beis HaMikdash were the mashkin that he wasn't going to hurt, that Hashem wasn't going to destroy us, right? So he says the following. I don't know who Rav Zalmullah was. But Rav Zalmullah says the following. He says, the Torah tells us, Shemos 2225, Shemos 22, it's Pashim I'm sure it's Pashim Mishpatim. 22, I'm right, 25. It says like this. If you take collateral from a poor person, if you take your fellow's garment as a security, you got to give it back to him in the morning. Why? So, let's say the guy borrows for a month, right? And I don't trust him. So every day of the month, I take away his, and I, I take it overnight, right? And I give it back to him in the morning. Why can't I just hold it in my house for the month, right? And the answer is because he needs the clothing. He's cold. He needs the clothing in the morning. You can't hold his clothing that he needs in the morning. Okay? It makes sense. That's the halacha. 
Abayta Shivano. Call you up to Shivano like Adbaya Shamash. Give it back to him. Oh. Again, call a yom to shivenol or give it to him. Ad boy hashemesh, ukishvoy hashemesh. Talks with leno ad shiavoy baika mach. Okay, so you take it during the day when he needs it. No, you 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 take it at night and you give it back to him during the day. Ukshishoyim, and if that's talking about clothing that you wear during the day, not his pajamas, right? So if he's if you take away his clothing, if you take away, let's say a guy's pants and shirt as collateral. You take it away at night so he's sleeping in his pajamas. But the next morning when he wakes up he needs his clothing back. So you have to give it back. You can't keep it all 24 hours. Right? That's the Allah. Now, he says like this. If the two base I just were taken from us as collateral, what's the great kasha? Hashem is supposed to give it back to us. In Mashkin, you have to give it back to us during the day. We don't have it. Must be returned the same day. Within the 24 hours, you only can keep it 12 hours. 12 hours, you have to give it back to him. Hey, you took our base. I made this away. You didn't give it back to us half a day. You took it away for 2,000, 2,500 two years. Good kasha, bomb question. It's a bomb question. Everything Hashem keeps it. With everything in the Torah, he keeps it. What? How we trash in collateral? So the answer is no. It's even worse than that. The answer is what's the answer, boys? Come, on, you can figure out this answer. I don't have to talk to you. You're very close. No, the reason that you have to give him back the clothing because he because he he uses it. He would we don't want it. So if we don't want it. We don't use it. He doesn't give it back to us. So if we'd want it and we'd use it. He would give it back to us. And that's the third base of Mikdash. And that's why at the end of the Elah, you should be davening, but you're showing that I don't need it. I need to eat. I need to come home. I don't need, I don't need your, 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 your base of Mikdash. I'm not interested in your base of Mikdash. Oh, the answer is going to be derived from the reason the Torah gives the requirement. The reason that he gives it is if he cries out to me, I shall listen, for I am compassionate. Where is that? 26. Shemot 26. Hashem says, warns us, if you do this and you don't give it back to him, you're a, you're a money lo- loaner. You're a loan truck, right? And you don't give it back. Because if that's his only clothing and it's his garment, now he has nothing. What should he? What, what is he going to lie down with? He has no clothing, right? He's going to scream to me. I'm going to listen to him. Because I'm compassionate. So what's going to happen? You're going to get into huge trouble. Chavzayin. Right. So Hashem says, I'm going to listen to his cries and you're going to get punished for it. So, if he cries out to me, I shall listen. In other words, the lender has to return the collateral in order to, for, in order to forestall the borrower from crying out to Hashem. He has to make sure, right? We have to make sure, even though the guy borrowed money from me, Right, I gotta make sure, even if I take collateral, that he doesn't complain to Hashem. So I gotta make sure he's happy, right? Because if he's borrowing from me, he's a broken guy anyway, right? But when the Beis is taking us collateral, no one is crying out. So why should Hashem return it to us? The Pasuk says, because he's gonna return it to you because if you're gonna cry out, you're gonna be in big trouble, but we're not crying out, so Hashem's not returning it to us. 
Zelman proceeds to add that if an individual cries and prays to Hashem to return the base of Midosh, heaven will, will give him a blessing along with the divine presence that we have enjoyed the base of Midosh had been standing. In other words, he's saying that just by you doing that, it's not going to bring the base of Midosh because you're only one. But because you're doing that, you're showing Hashem, listen to this, you're showing Hashem that the collateral that you took, right, I can't live without it, so I'm crying out because I can't live without the base of Midosh. Right? So I'm crying out to you. So even though Hashem's not going to build the base of Midrash for one guy, right? Hashem, Hashem gives him a blessing, and in the Shekhinah comes to him, that the same he would have had in the base of Midrash he has by himself. That's crazy. That's amazing. What a lesson. What a lesson. Just a little story about of Aaron Leib Steinman, about a tzaddik. What Shalom Bias means. So he says a story that when Amish Levin Steinman traveled to France, he asked the people accompanying him on their way back from France to Israel. So he went to, to, to France, to, I think, to raise money for the yeshiva. So he asked the Rabbanim that were with him, did you buy a present for your wives? So they said, why should we buy a present? We just, we just left for a few days. So Rabbi Steinman said, we left for a few days, for a few days, and the wives are worried, so you have to buy them a gift. He says, that's Shalom Bias. When a person remembers his wife, even when he's far from home. Ah. And all of his thoughts revolve around what he can do for her and how he can show his appreciation to her for what he does for him. That's the whole thing about relationships. You know, a woman, why does she, you, you buy her, you're married 20 years and you buy her a rose on her anniversary for two bucks. Why doesn't she throw it in your face? I'm married for 20 years and you spent two bucks? Are you crazy? Right, so one of the guys in my share, I told that to them. I told them that this guy went. He, this is many years ago. I said, "One of my mishalom." I said, "This guy was married for twenty years, and he brought his wife a dozen roses. It cost ten bucks a dozen roses, and he gave her the, ten, the dozen roses, and she was so happy." So this guy went ahead this mishugana, and he went on his anniversary, and he came home, and he said, "I have also like eighteen, nineteen years," and he said, "I brought you home an anniversary present," and he handed her a twenty dollar bill. And she took the $20 bill and she ripped it up and she threw it in his face. She said, that's what you give me after 19 years? $20 bill? He says, what are you talking about? You're so unappreciative. She said, what are you talking about? He says, my Rebbe told us a, a, a story. This guy was married 20 years and he spent 10 bucks on a dozen roses and I gave you double. <laughs> He's looking at her like, you know, you're the bad one. And she's like, you idiot. If you would have brought me home a dozen roses, I would have given you a big hug. Do you know why your Rebbe said that? Because what does a woman, woman cares about the dozen roses? Why? Because that means that you spent time in the middle of the day and you went out and you thought about me and you bought roses and you wrapped them and you brought them home. It's about the thinking about me. It's not about the ten bucks, you fool. She was 100% right. Some about the roses. You bring, you bring a girl a rose for two bucks? You cheapo? No, you went and you bought a rose and you had it wrapped and you thought about her. A woman wants to be thought about. That's why guys who tell their wives, don't call me when I'm working, is a marriage breaker. Because that means that when you're working, you just shut off, you don't think about me. But we're married, so you have to be thinking about when you're, thinking about me when you're working, when you're eating, at least a little bit of a thought. What do you mean I shouldn't call you, right? My wife calls me too often. You're supposed to be thinking about me. Actually, I'm not supposed to be calling you. You're supposed to be calling me. It's the same thing in relationship with Hashem. What's the biggest tefillah? 
What's the most important feel during the day? Mincha, why? It's the middle of the day. Hashem's like, I understand the morning when you wake up, you think of me. Thank you, it's nice. And Meyer, you also think of me. In the middle of the day, in the middle of working, you stop. And you're like, hello, darling, I love you. That's Mincha. Hello, Hashem, I love you. I'm thinking of you. In the middle of work, I stopped. That's why Mincha is the most powerful tefillah. So that's the, that's the, the relationship is based on, and we have a new guy who's getting married. You have to remember this is very important. It's not about the money. It's about the time. Why do you wrap presents? They rip it off anyway. They rip it up anyway. Is that stupid? You take a present, you wrap it, you put a ribbon on it. Then she takes the ribbon, she rips it, she rips the paper. You spent all that money wrapping it. What's the whole... Why do people gift wrap? And the answer... No. It takes time to wrap it. It's the extra step. You didn't just... No, it's the extra step. You didn't just take something off the shelf and give it to me. You went... You got it wrapped. Put a ribbon on it. It's the time. It's the extra step. That's what's behind. Because we could make we could make um, presents that are already in a box that looks like gift wrap. Right? You can make a box red, but what? It's the extra wrapping. I know about this because I sell gift wrap in my business, and there 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 are boxes today that are. You put it in a box, and it's like with a ribbon. It looks like a ribbon, right? Whatever it is. And they're like, no, the store's like, we have to gift wrap it. I said, why have to gift wrap it? I have the boxes also I sell. And they're like, no, people like to rip the paper open. It, it has a surprise. Yeah, that's a, there's another thing to that, because you don't know what's in it, right? But you can do that without gift wrap. Gift wrap means you, what? Right. Well, if you know, you come home with a little box and a wrapper, she doesn't think it's a car. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. Could be a key. Oh, very good. You're, you're, you see? You're creative. Could be a key. Either that or you're watching that game. What's that game? The price is right. Right. What? You could. Okay, but that's... Uh, but you, could, you could say, I love you and not mean it either. You go to... You, you buy the thing. You don't buy something gift wrapped. That's not such a thing. You go, you buy it, and then you go to, in the store... They have a place where they gift wrap it for you. So it's an extra step. You go to, you go to Eichler's, they have a, a right? You want, you want the safer gift wrap, you have to go and get a gift wrap. So that meant you spent, you didn't just give me, imagine for this class, right? I love you guys, you know I love you guys, you come out in the middle of the night just to, to, to give me therapy like this, let me talk to you, right? Imagine if I bought, if I bought you guys, I came out with a new safer, right? Mr. Shem, there's no Shiloh, I'm writing this on a, a lesson a day, I give it a aim. It's, it's an absolute must. It's my next project. So I finish writing the book and I give each one of you a book. Okay? Thank you, Revy. Now imagine I give each one of you a book that's gift wrapped. It's different. Same book inside. It's Revy, right? Revy gift wrapped it. It just, when I put it on the table in front of you, it just says, you know what's inside. It's my book, right? Now imagine that I gift wrapped the book and I wrote in it. Dear to each Talmud separately. Why? Let's say I wrote every single guy the same bracha. Rebbe spent the time to write it. That means you love me. Coming home and giving her a Hallmark card without writing anything of your own in it is, doesn't mean anything. Somebody else wrote it. Right. I'm just with the 20 cards, right? No, I'm just saying. So, so that, that is, you know, that, 
that shows love. Thinking about someone shows love. God thinks about us all the time. Because if his machshava wasn't on the world all the time, the world would be hevel havel, there'd be nothing here. We, our relationship with the Kodesh is every once in a while, three times a day, we have minion, but other times, just to stop and think about it. I have to tell you that every Friday I go shopping in the, in the flower store, and I just think about it, I'm like, I'm like, I, I, Hashem, I am so sorry. I am apologizing for the human race. I just did it this Friday. First, I have to tell you something nice There's some good people out there. I go to the flower store two weeks ago. So I get, I get two dozen flowers every Arab Shabbos. When I first opened BCA, my high school, so these girls were very disconnected from their parents because they went through abuse and dysfunction and also very disconnected from God. I was like, and no Shabbos, not keeping Shabbos. And I was like, what could I do that could fix all three? So my father, Oliver Shalom, was very mocked that every era of Shabbos, this is 50 years ago, 55 years ago, before guys, before there was no people on the corners selling flowers. You had to go to a florist, and there was one florist in every city, in every town. My father used to go on the west side, he used to buy flowers. And my father always bought because he knew he had to make, he had to make a hundred brachas, and there aren't a hundred brachas because we don't have the regular shmanas, right? So he would buy two flowers that had two different smells, two different brachas. A rose is a very atse besamim, because a rose has a very, like, like, thick, um, stem, right? It's a thicker stem, it's like a little woody, and that, that's a very, um, atse besamim, and a flower like a carnation that has a very thin, it's called, is a very ispe besamim. So a bari ispe besamim is a different bracha than an atzei besamim. So he would buy a flower that is an atzei besamim and he would buy an ispe besamim, right? So I was brought up that every Friday that was there. And it, my, my father would say, it's for my mother, but it's also for, for Shabbos. It's for both. Okay? Fine. So I was always, and I used to go buy the flowers sometimes, whatever it was, since I got my license and I wanted to drive. So... I said, you know what? If I buy every girl in my school a rose and I give them the rose for Shabbos to give to their mother, right? So first of all, they bring a rose to their mother. It's a good feeling. Second of all, they're getting a rose. And third of all, it's a rose for Shabbos. Maybe it'll work. So the first week we opened school, I went Friday to the flower store. I bought, that time we only had 15 guys. I bought two dozen roses, each rose gets wrapped in a cellophane, like when you're going out with a girl and you buy one rose, right? It's all very beautiful. And I came. It's seven years. I think I missed one Friday. And every week I buy a different color. So I'll buy, last week I bought pink and white. I got one week blue. They went crazy. Sometimes I have blue roses, right? One girl says, what are you bringing us black roses? I'm like, when you're dead. When you're dead. Because black roses, when you're dead, that's what they have, black roses, right? And it's been seven years. So, so people ask me in the store, do you sell these roses? Because it looks like I'm buying him. It's, it's, let's say he charges $15 a dozen, right? But now if I get them separately wrapped, they sell them in New York for five bucks a piece, each one. So people are thinking that, well, that I'm making a business. Why else, why else would you get 24 single, right? So, so they ask me, where do you sell them? I'm like, I don't sell them. Then what do you do? So I give it to my BCA girls. Every single girl, every girl gets a rose. Sometimes two, if they're not, if not, not a lot of girls showed up on Friday. I bring them chillant. Interesting girls, right? 
wipe it out. Children from pomegranate, he gives it to me, he's charity, he gives me a whole thing of it with Kishka every Friday, seven years. They wipe it out, right? And I and I bring them roses. The first week I got into crazy trouble. The first week a girl posted on her Facebook, you're not gonna believe it, my rabbi gave me a rose. And they're like, Oh, another abusive rabbi? Like they felt like, you know, why is a rabbi giving a rose? You know how people think. Today you can't do anything. But anyway, two weeks ago, this is a true story. I have the letter. I don't have it on me, but I'll, I'll bring it to you next week. Two weeks ago, I come in. So it's $30 every week. It's 15 and 15, two dozen roses. I come in. He does all the roses, the guy. We put it together. I go to the Chinese guy to pay. He goes, no pay. I'm like, no pay? Why? I don't know. Here's paper. Lady, pay me. Open the paper. Thank you, Rabbi Wallstein, for everything you do. I wanted to pay for the girls this week. Le'ile Nishmas, somebody's name. I was like, is she here? He goes, no. He, she came in the middle of the week. She gave me the money and what's two dozen roses and she paid for me. Okay. I was like, wow. So one of the ladies that I told what I do, right, paid for the, for, paid for the, I have the letter. It's a little blue sticky. Mikam Chisrael. Just by hearing what? I have no idea who it is. How would I know who it is? It just said, this was Chaim Ben whatever. I have no idea who it is. What? No, he said, she, I asked him, older lady, older lady. No. No one in my school, no, they don't have $30 to do it. No, it's just like, you know, like me, so, so, so I have girls that tell me, they're, they're not even from, and they tell me, Rabbi Wallace, you know what, since I graduated, the thing I miss, I'm getting that rose every, every Friday. And they take two or three roses, and sometimes they go on the train, and they give it to poor people. It's the time you thought you got a rose, you got a wrap. Hey, Walton, you brought a rose for me? You know, I'm not your daughter, I'm not your wife. I know, but you're a person, and it's for Shabbos. And I would say it's for Shabbos and for you. And if you can bring it to your mother, bring it to your mother. If you're, not, if you're going to the dorm, you can't bring it to your mother. It's the time. So, so the, the, the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is also that the time that you give him, that you think about him outside of the sitter. It's like the extra. Of course, the sitter, I'm not saying that that's not important. It's very important. But that counts also. Do you imagine an atheist? His whole life never gave Hashem a minute. Not a second. How can that be a good marriage? Not a second. You don't exist. I know you. Poof, the magic dragon. You're not here. Hashem's like, I'm here. You wouldn't be here if I'm not here. You're breathing. I'm here. I'm in your lungs. I'm in your heart. I'm in your guts. I'm in your brain. I'm in everywhere. Your brain could have a, a, a hemorrhage. You could have a stroke. You could have a heart attack. You could have an embolism. You could have... Well, and, and Hashem's like, no, I'm holding it together. I'm not here. I'm in you. I'm around you. I'm on you. I'm through you. I'm you. I'm part of you. Where? Like I did to that kid. I don't see you. Who? What? I remember the basketball game. He's like, pass me the ball. I'm like, I don't want to hear anything. And of course, my class played along with me. Right? So they were all like, we didn't hear anything. And in class, you would say, Rebbe, please. I'm like, anybody hear anything? The class all together would go, no. It was great. It was great. It was painful. But it, it worked. It worked. The pain that this poor kid went through, I asked, he's, my, he's one of my closest. He's like my son. So I asked him a chila for it, but it worked. It definitely worked. And I'm not telling the parents who are listening to this to do that. Because it's very painful. And if they, 
if the relationship is not there and it doesn't bother the kid that you're ignoring him, then it backfires in a big way. My father knew how much I loved him, so he knew that by ignoring me that time, it would kill me. But some kids would be like, you're ignoring me? For the rest of my life, I'm ignoring you. So you, you, you can't just use that all the time. I had no... I had nothing else to try on this kid. And he was getting kicked out of yeshiva, like, every week. I had nothing else to try. So, and I still have to ask him, Mechila, because it's so painful. It's so, so painful. Okay. What else did I want to tell you? And we'll end with that. Quarter to 12 already. Um, what else did I want to tell you? Oh. No, we're going to do perm next week. Um. Uh, this story didn't end. He, told, he tell a story about um, um, this this man who who's this rich man. They needed money in Yerushalayim. They needed ten thousand rubles, and this very very big tzaddik was collecting the money. And this guy gave him ten thousand rubles. He said, on one condition, that you sell me your oilam haba. I want all your oilam haba. And the, the tzaddik sold his oilam haba because he says that says you should serve God with all your heart, all your soul. And all your resources. And at that time, his resource was that, um, his resource was to, the only thing he had, because he was a very poor tzaddik, the only thing he had was Ayyub Haba. That was his resource. He didn't have money. He didn't have anything this guy wanted. The only thing this guy wanted was his Ayyub Haba, so he sold it. I heard Nari Digavart will end with this. There's one other thing I saw, I don't remember what it was. other thing I saw. Um, so I heard I had a whole bikuach. I had a person who offered me true story who offered me a million dollars to Arnava if I give him all my Ganeiden to this point. In other words, I'm not taking all your Ganadin, whatever you do from now on. Now, I had a cheshbon like this. If I get a million dollars, this was a few years ago. If I get a million dollars, so he gets all my gain until this point. But the million dollars, I'm going to be able to do much more to help Klaisrol. So in the end, I'm not losing my, any Ganadin. Because now that I have the million dollars, going forward, I could do so much more. So I thought I was going to do the deal. And we're going to write a star and have Aiden witnesses. And I'm going to sell my gun Aiden. So I went to Rabbi Gamliel. I had to. And I heard stories of people sell, giving their gun Aiden, selling their gun Aiden. Like, I went to Rabbi Gamliel. I said, Gamliel, I, I, I had no money. Right? Or I was always, we we're always struggling because people don't want to give money for girls. Right now I'm struggling like crazy. And I can't, I can't raise a dime. And guys, I hear money going to this yeshiva, that yeshiva, that yeshiva. For some reason, people don't realize that the, the guys in yeshiva, you're supporting the kailal, and you're supporting the yeshiva, you're supporting all these guys, but if they marry women who are not firm and not healthy, right, the women are the ones that are going to take these guys down. So you're investing on one side, but you're not investing on the other side, so the, the bridge is going to collapse. You need both sides. You need a good boy, but you need a good girl. So if girls have questions about Hashem, and they're going to bring up your kids, and they're the ones who talk to their kids, and they're the ones who need to say Hamalach HaGoa when they go to sleep, and Moda'ani when they wake up, and you're not going to help me do this, 
Well, it's going to collapse, and you're investing so much money on one side. You got you got to invest on both sides. All right. Anyway, so I went to Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Gamliel, I want to do this deal. He said, "Chas v'shalom." Chas v'shalom. He said, "If you understood what one second of Ganeidin was, you wouldn't even be asking me this question." That's what he said to me. He says, you don't understand what it is. Chas v'shalom, you're not allowed to sell any Ganeidim. So I have a kasha. That was Chaya Wallstein. The person that's quoted in, 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 uh, in Olenu Shabayach by Rav Zilberstein, who gave, who signed in front of a Bezdin, who gave this rich man all of his Ganeidim for 10,000 rubles for all the poor people in Yushalayim. Rabbi, what's the deal? The answer is that his Ganeiden, for selling his Ganeiden to help all the Jews, was much greater than his Ganeiden before. Yechap? Somebody who's willing to sell his Ganeiden to support all the poor people in Eretz Yisrael, that Ganeiden for being, for willing to sell Everything that you have, everything that you worked for, all the Torah mitzvahs that you did, you're willing to sell that to feed poor people's mouths, right? You're willing to do that? The guy you're going to get for that is much bigger than all the guy that you sold. I wasn't doing that. I was taking a million dollars to build up my Ornava. You understand? And my business sense was, well, I'll, I'll be do- doing double work. So I do double work. I'll catch up to the stuff I gave up. Now he said, you can't, you can't do that. But this Sadiq, this Sadiq, he, there were people who were starving. They were starving in Yerushalayim. So he said, you know what? I have to save their lives. So he's got native for... If you give away money for Hashem, that's huge. If you give away, you know, work time, time for Hashem, that's huge. But if you give away everything you worked for your whole life, you give away everything you worked for your whole life, which is the next world, you need to give that away so other Jews should have what to eat. So the guy, you have to get, you're not going to get rewarded for that? You're going to get punished? You're going to get rewarded, Right? The reward for that is greater than all that stuff you had till then. That's my that's my thought. Yes, what do you want to ask? What do you mean? If you would have taken a million dollars and you would have then helped other people to get into that aid. Right. So my Rebbe said my Rebbe said, You don't sell you you don't sell your Ghana then. You go collect, you go hard, work a little bit harder, you don't she says you don't sell your Ghana then. You don't make a de- you don't make a deal like that. He says you don't know what it's worth. If you understood what it's worth for one minute, you wouldn't sell it for a million dollars. You wouldn't sell it for a hundred million dollars. You know, I have a story. Led with this, it didn't come to fruition. It didn't come to fruition. It didn't happen yet. So there was this boy that I knew very well who was totally, totally went off the derech. This was many years ago. No Shabbos, no nothing. And he had a friend that I was very close to, and the friend said to me, Rebbe, you have to help him. I said, what's his deal? He says, he's very poor. He doesn't have no money. He doesn't have a job. And he just, he just, he just gave up on Yiddishkeit, gave up on everything. He's the Chal Shabbos, whatever. He's doing every Avera, forget about it. I said, okay. I met this kid. I said to him, here's the deal. You want to make some money? He goes, sure. I'm like, I want you to put on, he wasn't putting on Tillin for a long time. I said, I want you to put on Tillin for a month. 
30 days, not Shabbos, right? So a month, a whole month. You do that, I give you right now on the spot, but you can't, if you break your word, you got to give me the money back. He's a, he's a, he was like an honest kid, but he was just off the derech. I said, if you promise me, you're going to do it, I want to give you $1,000 now. This is the deal. $1,000 now, cash. Took it out of my pocket, because you got to see it. I counted it. One, two, three, four, five, six. So you want the thousand dollars? I'm not asking you to become from. I'm not asking you to make yourself crazy. I'm asking you every morning, you have to put on your Tulan Shayad and your Tulan Sharosh. Say Kriyashma and Shmona Esrei. 30 days. Kriyashma and Shmona Esrei. The whole thing will take you three minutes. Thousand bucks. He says, you got a deal. I said, wait, the deal's not over. This is a true story. If he's willing to tell you the story, because he could come here and tell you the story, but we'd have to take the, we'd have to shut the video because everybody knows who he is. If he was willing to talk to the Chabur, I'd let him talk to the Chabur. Anyway, so, I said, but here's the backside of the deal. One day when you're from, you're going to want to buy back those 30 days of Tulin. What's 30 days of Tulin worth? A trillion dollars? A zillion dollars? I own it. I paid for it. It's mine. My 30 days. I said, it's going to cost you 10 grand to buy them back. I'm selling it to you for one. If you want to buy it back, it's going to cost you 10 grand. He's like, I'm never going to want to buy, buy it back. I'm not worried about it. I gave him the $1,000. Now, I knew the Tefillin is a crazy kayak Because it's in your head. And it's on your hand. So it's pretty much in your whole, your whole body. And it's mamish like a medicine for the soul. It's, 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 it has a, has a crazy kayak. So I knew if I have a shot, right? I didn't, I, I, I didn't make the deal for Shabbos, even though Shabbos is also an ice. Tulin's an ice, bris is an ice, I can't, it couldn't do anything about the bris, he had the bris already, but the tulin and Shabbos, right? But I figured that Shabbos is not gonna, he's not, it's gonna be, so there are two ice, and what's an ice? An ice is a sign that you're a Jew, it's, it's, when you, when you, when you're, when you're a shoemaker, you put out a sign, shoemaker, right? If you're a shoemaker, you put out a sign, florist, you're gonna get the wrong customers. So the ois that you're a Jew, the three ois of a bris, right? A woman doesn't have that ois. Tefillin, a woman doesn't have that ois. Shabbos, a woman doesn't need three oises. She only needs one. That's Shabbos. We have three. Shabbos. So I figured, of the two ois, right? Bris, I'm not going to be able to tell them not to mess around. Shabbos is going to be very hot. Tefillin, three minutes. Mm. Has a big koyach. I knew if I have a chance of changing him, that's what's going to change him. Bottom line is, totally became about tshuva, totally today. One of my boys, you know him, from Stark, amazing. Revy. I need those 30 days back. <laughs> I'm like, it's 10 grand. We shook. He's like, just give it back to me. I'm like, nope. Part of your chuva is giving me those 10 grand. Not to me, to Arnava. I don't, I don't, I don't need it. But, so, he said, okay. When I have it, when I make enough money, you know I'm buying that back. I'm like, we made a deal. Tzulon has a huge kayak. And it worked. And it worked. Now we're going to get 100 guys calling me and we'll put on Tzulon. But whatever, whatever it is, we don't understand the value of a mitzvah. We don't understand. Probably in Shemayim they're like $10,000. 30 days of Tzulon is worth, there's, no, there's not enough money in this world. There isn't. But that's a deal I made with him. And one day he'll be rich. 
And he'll, walk up, he'll show up and he'll say, Rebbe, here's the 10 grand. I want my 30 days back. And my word's a word, even though I want to charge him more. But, you know, so the, the lesson of tonight's share, I wanted to really talk about Purim, but it's late. Um, the lesson of tonight's share is, I mean, we, we see in Elin Shabbat the, the, the beauty of a relationship with Hashem and a relationship with somebody is, is, is the making time. And yeah, even though we can't bring, as an individual, to bring the base Hamigdash back, I mean, we have that power, but, but if we reach out to our Kurdish Baruch and we're like, you know the mashkin you took? The security you took from me? The two base Hamigdash? I can't live without it. It's like, the guy who has to get back his jacket, right? His, 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 his blanket. I can't, I can't go to sleep without my blanket. You, you have to, the halacha is you have to give me back the blanket. If we dive into Hashem like that, Hashem says, my shekhinah will be with that person. And if the shekhinah is with that person, well, you'll be healthy, you'll have shalom bayas, you'll have a panasa, you'll have everything you need. Shabbat slacha and bracha, and thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.